Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. notice that there's a little bit of variation between what we just read and what we read together in our gathering liturgy from the gospel account of Matthew. And that's okay. They don't have to perfectly match up. But the important thing is that in these stories, we are receiving different accounts and different perspectives of what happened. And some of the things are very much the same. Now, whether Jesus was accompanied with a mother and her foal, her colt, or whether Jesus was only riding on a colt, the point is that Jesus came riding on a donkey. And while variations in vehicles mattered very much in that ancient time. They had other options. Now, donkeys are something that are used repeatedly throughout the scriptures. And if you remember back in Advent and Christmas, we talked about Jesus' own mother riding a donkey as she came to Bethlehem for the census. But here, Jesus chooses this to be the way in which he will enter in. Not only is it in fulfillment of the prophecies, but it also conveys humility, which is very important. He could have made sure that he came in on the back of a chariot pulled by war horses. He could have come on a white war horse adorned for battle to take back the kingdom and the throne. But instead, Jesus knows that the perception is very important here. He isn't coming so that he himself would be glorified. He is coming so that God and God's grace will receive the attention. And the vessel needed to be humble. So he shows us that. But the people are very excited. It says that, again, they were aware of what he had done in the resurrection of Lazarus. And so people came to see Jesus. This Jesus, the one that they had heard about, the one who had been traveling all over Galilee and had come down to the southern kingdom of Judah, this Jesus that had performed miracles by healing the sick, by helping those that were unable to walk, walk, giving eyesight to the blind, curing people of unclean spirits, and above all, feeding thousands. This Jesus was now finally here, and people turned out, and the joy that the crowd felt was contagious. People very quickly started to show their appreciation and their excitement in the way that they turned out to not only go before him, but to follow and to line the streets, to use the palm branches, to show in a very fantastic visual way that they were excited over the entry of Jesus. But they also were using sacred words. You'll notice here in the gospel account of John that what they say is Hosanna, which actually means in its Aramaic, save us, we pray. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. So how does a word that originally meant save us, we pray, how does that get transformed into words of adoration and deep love and respect? It becomes part of the liturgy of praise, even in the days of Jesus, that as they are reading that word from the book of Psalms, it becomes part of their celebration as God's people throughout their their liturgical year, just as it is part of our liturgical year today. And as they quote that, imagine if you are the Sadducees and the Pharisees. You are the chief priests. You are the priesthood here in the temple. And you are the Pharisees who know the ancient scriptures. And you hear the crowds shouting out, that the king is coming. 
to hear them proclaim with their words that their king is come, knowing that there is a Herod that sits upon the throne and that Rome placed him there and that there is a governor who sits in the governor's palace who is there to enforce that the people recognize that their ultimate king is the emperor of Rome. All of a sudden, their proclamations become very dangerous. And already, people are lining up, not just to praise Jesus, but to figure out how to destroy him. He is a threat to their power, a threat to their sovereignty. And above all, he is a threat to their comfort and how they are existing here and now. And his arrival puts great fear in some, even as others are celebrating and joyful. The scriptures go on to tell us that he is fulfilling the, the powerful statement, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Yes, your king is coming, and he is sitting on a donkey's colt. Jesus arrived in this way, but he would not leave this same way. In fact, Jesus was going to be heralded in ways that sometimes we don't even really think about. Most churches focus on the palm branches. It's a lot easier to focus on palm branches than to make sure that we all arrive in some sort of biblical fashion statement that will allow us to take off our coats and our cloaks and throw them into the center aisles of our churches. So we focus more on the palm branches. But today, I think it's important for us to remember the coat piece. And as modern Christians, many of us have more than one coat. You might have different levels of coats for different seasons. You might have jackets, sport coats. So let's consider what it would mean for us to replicate what happened when Jesus arrived. So I brought today some of my coats. I'd love to tell you that this is all of my coats. This is not, but this is a good representation of my coats. So imagine that you find yourself lining the road, hoping to glimpse Jesus, the one that you've heard about. And all of a sudden, people say, we're taking off our coats. We're going to throw them down. We're going to honor Jesus. They don't have red carpets, so they're using their coats as the fabric to line the street, to signify visually to all who are watching that Jesus is that significant and special. And what if you had arrived and you thought to yourself, this is my favorite coat. This is, I mean, how could it not be? It's pink and it's furry. I, I, I can't give this. I mean, do you know what a donkey's going to do on this coat? Absolutely not. I want to wear this coat again. So you say, no, I'm not going to give that one. But, you know, what about this one? Well, you know, it's sure it's, you know, it's a puffer coat. It's down. It keeps me very warm. It's probably my most practical coat. Um, and speaking of which, I might need it later. So probably not that one either. And this one, well, this one is not very um, perfunctory. It's much more visual. You know, who doesn't love gold embossed alligator print in a fur collar? You know, this one makes me look like Elton John. I can't get rid of that one. No, instead, hmm, I wore this one this morning because it was raining when I arrived at the church. And it's moderately lined, but, you know, I mean, other than being red, it's just basically a raincoat. So... Yeah, I mean, I could probably part with this, right? I mean, who cares? I have umbrellas anyway. So Jesus gets that. But instead of giving Jesus our best, we just give Jesus what we feel like we can part with. There's a big difference in the motivation there. Jesus came on the first Palm Sunday to give us everything, to give us his best, his all, his life, so that we might have grace. How often do we respond by giving Jesus just what we're comfortable with, the lowest level of gift? 
It actually draws us back to the Old Testament, to one of the first stories in Genesis. It draws us back to two siblings, Cain and Abel, who come forth and make offerings to God, seemingly spontaneously, for God has not issued any edict or explanation or expectation that they would come and make these offerings. And Cain is a farmer, so he brings some of his yield. What he has grown, he just brings some. And God, okay, you brought something. But Abel goes further. Abel looks at what he has as a shepherd, and he brings God a very costly gift to himself. He brings God the fat portions of a lamb. He looks at the Lord and says, you deserve my very best. You deserve what brings me joy, but also what shows and testifies to your place in my heart, in my mind, and in my life. I want to give you a sacrificial gift because you mean so much to me. And so Abel gives an incredible gift to honor the God that we know and love and serve. And just as others that day on Palm Sunday chose to give what was probably their only coat, meaning that they would then have to expend money or expend some sort of bartering in order to acquire a new coat, they gave of something spontaneously, but in the moment to honor and glorify God. And that happened that day. But we who are descendants of those people spiritually how often do we act more like Cain and less like Abel and those that were there and felt no other response vital or more important than to give their best? What they had, what was important, what everyone considered to, that you needed. That's why at one point in his teaching, Jesus says, if you happen to have two coats, give one to someone else. Because there were so many who were cold and going without, who weren't protected from the elements and who didn't feel that warmth that comes from being cared for. So we as Christians are invited to consider exactly how we approach our gifts to Jesus. The crowd is going to be transformed. They're going to be changed over by the time Friday comes. Jesus enters into a city that is bustling, that is overfilled with visitors. Jews have come from every corner of the Roman Empire. That's why it said they were Greeks. They probably weren't actually Greeks, but they were Jews that spoke Greek because that's where they were living, outside of the Holy Land. And there they came. They came because this is one of the highest holy days. They came because the Passover was mandated all the way back in the book of Exodus in the Torah. And so they would come to make their offerings and to celebrate and remember when God loved them so much that God passed over them. And over the course of the night before the dawn, God would liberate the people who had been living in bondage and slavery in Egypt for 400 years. They remembered this intentionally every year. And they came to gather and to celebrate and to marvel and to be with one another. And on that day that they had gathered there, in comes Jesus. That same Jesus that everybody was talking about. That same Jesus that people yearn to see. Is he really the Messiah? Is he truly the one that is going to cast off the Romans and set us free again so that we can be ruled by one of the line of David himself? Is this the one that we have been waiting for? Is this the one that we have been praying for for hundreds of years? Is this our Messiah? And as they did that, they were 
caught up in the moment, excited and joyful. There he is. He looks pretty regular, but there he is. And he has his apostles with him, and he has disciples that are following along. There are women that are caring for him that have shown up. There are many people who are still testifying to what they witnessed with Lazarus rising from the dead. And all of a sudden, he's there. And they get caught up in that excitement, and they start shouting and praising and adding to the celebration. But Jesus knows that this is not going to last. He is well aware of the transformation that is going to happen in those very same people on Sunday, they are shouting Hosanna and waving their arms in celebration. But by Friday, they will have fists and they will be screaming crucifixion. They will be calling for his death. So much so that they will actually choose to let a murderer go free rather than to let the Messiah live. And the hard, devastating loss that Jesus must have experienced and the bewilderment and the terror of his apostles will all be too real. And we have to think to ourselves, well, if I were there, I, wouldn't, I would not at all abandon Jesus. I certainly wouldn't betray him by calling for his crucifixion. It's easy to say that, isn't it? We who know who Jesus is, we who have been blessed to have a relationship with our Lord and Savior. But even now, there are Christians who fall to the same pressures the same expectations as that crowd did. That crowd was paying attention to what their leaders say. The religious authorities, the high priests, the Sanhedrins, and the Pharisees, all of our best and brightest. The priests who take our offerings and place them upon God's altar and bring us reconciliation. Those people are calling for his death. They cannot be wrong. They thoughtlessly follow what their elders, their leaders and the religious authorities say. And others are there caught up when the crowd becomes an angry mob. And they join in then, just as they joined in on Palm Sunday, screaming for the death of this man. After all, it's one person. He must have done something. After all, he's up there with Pontius Pilate. Surely, this person deserves to die. And they will get caught up in hating him. Well, just five days ago, they were caught up in adoration and love. And others were probably mortified over what was happening. But they thought, the crowd is so big. How can we possibly speak out and speak against it? Which is precisely what the Pharisees said when they saw the reaction that the arrival of Jesus had. See, you can do nothing to him. The world has gone after him. And the Pharisees kind of step back and give up. But into that void of being in opposition and adversary to Jesus, step in the Sanhedrin, the high priesthood. They are going to watch and listen and observe Jesus and how he interacts and the things that he does on Monday and Tuesday. And by Wednesday, a cataclysmic event will happen, and it will be the catalyst that sets forth the betrayal of Jesus so that on Thursday, as Jews all over the world were celebrating and honoring the Passover, that will be the night that Jesus will be betrayed by one of his own, one of his apostles that he called into ministry that he has served and that he has led for three years, one of his beloved are going to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. And by Friday, it will all be over. The crowds will call for his death and the religious authorities will back up that decision. And Pilate will wash his hands and Christ will be crucified. But what happens in those days between? We are those people 
who have decisions to make. Are we going to be the fair weather crowd that celebrates on Palm Sunday and doesn't really want to have anything to do with Good Friday, but we'll be back for Easter? Or are we the kind of Christians who recognize that Jesus has never abandoned us, even when we were sinful, willfully disobedient, when we made mistakes or we strayed from the path that we knew that we were called upon, when we said and did things that caused tremendous pain and suffering, and yet God still gave us, when we know what it is like to not be forsaken and abandoned, are we going to choose not to do the same for Jesus? By the time that he passes away on Friday on the cross, there will be less than a handful left. And only those who were unable to leave him. The vast majority of the city and the apostles will have fled they will have cast disparaging comments and taunts against him. They will have fled so that they are not present and in fear for their own safety rather than ensuring that their Messiah see their gratitude and their love. Adoration and true hosanna, true praise, true recognition that Jesus will save us means that we do not abandon him. We have abandoned so many things in the course of our lives and we regret them. But here is our opportunity each year to stand firm and to travel through the events of Holy Week, marveling at the audacity of Jesus to cast out the money changers on Monday and turning over tables, not allowing people to turn the sanctity of the temple into a bazaar. And on Tuesday, he will say profound things and he will teach people who are hungry for God's word. And he will battle verbally with the Sadducees and the scribes. They will come and try to trick him, but his responses are so incredibly wise that they are worth remembering. And then on Wednesday, on Wednesday, something will truly change everything. On Wednesday, he and his apostles will gather for dinner at a house, and there an act of adoration that we would expect on behalf of the Messiah is going to trigger such deep, profound disagreement among the apostles that Judas will feel that he has no other option than to turn Jesus in. And as we go through this week, we have an opportunity to see how we have followed suit, like Judas, like the crowds, and that there have been times where we allowed our fear to keep us from doing what Jesus is calling us to. And Jesus knew that this was going to be hard. That's why he said to Philip and Andrew that you are a grain. And if you do not fall to the earth and die, then you will never rise again and bear fruit. But if you are so obsessed with keeping your life, then for eternity you will lose it. But those of us who follow Jesus even unto death, that is the promise of eternal life and the resurrection. Too many Christians think that their relationship with God and Jesus Christ is Christmas and Easter. But there is no Easter without Good Friday. There is no resurrection without the cross. And if we show up to celebrate on Palm Sunday and then we completely abandon Jesus in our devotions and our worship throughout Holy Week, then what is the point of Easter? Life is one big party? No. Instead, it is about recognizing that we can show our devotion in our own ways. Our attentiveness is singing Hosanna. 
It is to praise our Lord so that when Easter comes, we truly can say hallelujah because we were there when the thought to betray Jesus happened on Wednesday. We were there when he celebrated the first sacrament of Holy Communion on Holy Thursday. We were there when he washed the feet of his disciples and told them that the greatest of them will serve all. We were there on Friday when he was humiliated and betrayed and when he was crucified and died. And on Saturday, we mourned that loss and the ambivalence between Good Friday and Easter. And then on Easter, like those first women, we will celebrate that he rose again once more and that we are just the latest bearers of that good news. But what good news do we really have if we don't recognize all that he did, all of his suffering, all of his genius, all of the ways in which he fulfilled the scriptures, not just to say that he did it, but for us, for our salvation, Jesus will endure this week. And this is precisely what the devil was testing at the very beginning of his earthly ministry. Save yourself. But no, Jesus was less interested in saving himself and more interested in saving all of us. We cannot abandon our Lord. And even if we have every other holy week of our lives, it is never too late to change. Because Jesus isn't expecting us to be faithful just this week. Jesus knows that there will be places where Jesus is going to send us so that we can be with others who are suffering, those who are unsure that they could ever be loved, that have already experienced heartbreaking rejection, having been cast out from their families, their jobs, their schools, and unfortunately, tragically, even their church. But yet we have the opportunity to be part of the Hosanna, the transformation, realizing that Christ came for them. And that same Christ that came for us is now sending us forth to help others. So as this year looks and feels very different, I didn't think we would spend one more Palm Sunday, Holy Week, or Easter in isolation. It doesn't mean that we can't be there for Jesus. We can be there in the searching of the scriptures. We can be there in the opportunity to gather for worship, even through live stream and digitally. We can be there in prayer. We can be there through our gifts and our service. We have the ability to proclaim, not just to Jesus, but the world, that we are with you, for you have always been with us. May it be so. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.